Well, good morning, everyone. You know, it's um, it's a real privilege and an honour this morning to be um, to be with you. Although a little unexpected, as I'm filling in for Monica Carey um, this morning due to some unforeseen circumstances that's happened. But um, this morning um, we're going to be talking about a really tough subject: persecution is normal. So bear with me. If you've been tracking with us, we're continuing our lead series, which is talking about the life of Peter as he turned from being a follower into a fantastic leader. And I really encourage you, actually, um, everyone, if you can, if you haven't heard all the sermons, go back online, listen to them, because they really are fabulous. And then follow the lead booklet, and we can get some to you if you're not in a life group, um, so that you can go deeper. It really is great stuff. Um, you'll like this picture. This is the McCoys. They run a life group here at BBC and they have their lead booklet in the Dead Sea. Can you believe it? So the word's getting out there. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to be talking this morning through Acts 5. Um, we're following on from Colin who did Acts 3 and 4 last week. Now Acts 5 is a really big scripture um, and it's a tough one. So I'm going to take you on a bit of a journey. The first part is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And they lied before the Holy Spirit intentionally, and they lost their lives because of it. It was the first recorded sin in the life of the new church. You see, they'd sold a field to um, give the money to the church, as Barnabas had done in, pre in the previous um, scriptures. But together they decided to keep some of the money back for themselves. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, the money was theirs to do with what they wished. It wasn't a problem. But they deceived the Holy Spirit by trying to make out that they had given everything. And that's actually where they went wrong. And so they died. Immediately. Kaput. Gone. Nada. Nothing left. And they got carried out and buried. You see... The church was being birthed and God needed holiness. Holiness is the absence of evil. God was saying that he would not tolerate the presence of deception, hypocrisy and lies. And so the fear of this mighty God came upon some of these followers and some wouldn't even go into the room with the apostles because they knew that they were either pretenders or half-hearted in their belief. They suddenly realised that actually they were only there for the miracles and the awesome signs and wonders and that the awesome power of the Spirit that judges also demands commitment and responsibility. The church was not going to lower its standards in order to win the lost. I guess I ask the question then, can we, um, as that church in New Zealand, say that same thing? Do we ourselves personally compromise too much to be accepted and not rejected? Well, Acts 5, 12 to 16, it says that the apostles were used by the Holy Spirit after um, the Ananias and Sapphira episode to perform many, many signs and wonders. And no one dared join them because of the fear of God and what he could do if they were half-hearted. But yet more and more women believed and added to their number. There was purity, holiness, 
and the presence of God. Peter and the apostles saw thousands saved as they preached the gospel, especially as you read in the first chapters of um, the book of Acts. And at the beginning, um, the apostles felt really unequipped, as many of us actually do now. And, but when they received the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is Jesus' presence with them always, they grew in boldness. They preached, they saw healing, they saw deliverance from the evil spirits, and it's actually no different today. But have you thought that perhaps we've become a little half-hearted? Maybe, uh, you know, your Jesus is just on a Sunday. <laughs> we doubt, we're not even sure that we trust God anymore. And if you look at the stats of the church in New Zealand, it's appalling we have one of our girls from um, BBC. Um, she's now producing on the project, and, um, which is on TV3. And her name is Mallory Carey. She's actually um, Monica's daughter, and she's a gorgeous girl. And she sent us this clip of something that she produced just recently. So take a look at this. Now, when the All Blacks play in the World Cup Grand Final in November, yeah, millions of us will proudly sing God Defend New Zealand. But in 2019, there will be more Kiwis inclined to mumble that first word because fewer of us identify as religious, to which some church leaders say, thank God. <laughs> the numbers are in and New Zealand is losing its religion. Nearly half of us ticked no religion in the 2018 census, while Christianity has lost almost half a million followers. But in 2019, we're still pretty big on the Bible. Obviously, we all like Christmas and Easter, but maybe that's more about chocolate than church. But consider this, hundreds of public schools run opt-out religious instruction classes. The karakia, a Māori ceremony commonly used in workplaces, is steeped in its Christian past, often ending āmene, which is Māori for amen. And even some of our companies use their religious ties for tax-exempt status. Then there's our Gregorian calendar, religious symbolism like roadside crosses, even hot cross buns. I'll give them a pass though because they're delicious. But while New Zealand increasingly goes without God, why are some church leaders saying that's a good thing? Yeah, it's an interesting question. We're joined now uh, from Hamilton by media chaplain and church minister, Reverend Frank Ritchie. Frank, you say that more people not being religious in New Zealand is a good thing. Yeah, I think our country is getting more, getting more honest. So rather than people getting uh, christened or having their parents who were Christian and therefore saying that they're Christian, I think people are being more honest about where they're at. And that's only got to be good for people like myself who want to know what it is that people think, want to know what it is that people believe so that I can respond to it. Does non-religious mean atheist? Yeah, there's, there's been some other research done that says the majority of our country still believes that there's a God or there's some form of higher power. So a vast, a big chunk of those people saying that they have no religion are, dis, are just disaffiliating from organised religion. Reverend Frank, I noticed... some sense of spirituality. How does that make you feel? I know when I saw it at first I was a little indignant, you know. I mean, how can this guy be so flippant? It's like he didn't care and 49%, well, wow. But the more I've thought about it, the more I realise that this is real and honest and exactly where we are at as a nation. 
a country that is, known, that is actually now known as one of the most secular countries in the world. We actually get missionaries coming to us now. But you know what? The gospel will move with or without us. You know, I've heard um, <laughs> so many people praying for revival. But seriously, are we ready? Are we willing to sacrifice, be persecuted, challenged? Do we really, really know what that means? It's coming. In fact, it's actually already here. It's not going to be cool anymore to be a Christian. Persecution is happening. It might be in really, really subtle ways at the moment. It could be through media, bullying, whatever, you know, in school, family members, but it's definitely in our politics now. And it's happening. And that antichrist movement is growing here in New Zealand. Did you also know that um, there has been more persecution, religious persecution, throughout the world in the last century than any other century combined? It's happening. Sorry. <laughs> Let's get back to the book of Acts and in 5, 17 to 41. You know, it's actually a really, really long piece of scripture. So I'm not going to read the whole thing. So if you've got your Bibles, open your Bibles and all your phones to this chapter and follow through with me. And it starts off with the high priests and the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Now these religious leaders all became very jealous of what was happening with the apostles and they arrested Peter and the apostles and threw them into jail again. This was not the first time. And then they were to await trial the next day in front of the whole Sanhedrin. Now the Sanhedrin is a group that was the supreme council and tribunal of the Jews headed by a high priest and it had religious, civil, and criminal jurisdiction. So basically, they just had a hang of a lot of power. But during the night, and I love this, a ninja angel had come and broken them out of jail. And my big question is though, because I'm kind of a details girl, where were the guards? Asleep? Did, you, did the angel knock them over the head or do they walk through walls? I mean, sorry guys, but I really am a details girl. and. I'm terrible. So, for example, um, Craig will have done a wedding and I'll, I'll go, so what did the bride look like, honey? And he goes, um, she was wearing white. <laughs> Honestly, it's so frustrating. Um, but in this verse, Luke, who wrote this book, being a typical bloke, I guess, misses the details and I need details. I have hope though, because Rob in the next few weeks on Sunday night is actually preaching about this particular angel. So Rob, I need details. I'm waiting for the details. <laughs> what I can say this though, is that it's an example of the fact that God can deliver us if he wishes. Our task is actually to obey his call. Then the angel gives God's instructions to the boys and he goes, go to the temple and tell everyone about this new life. As you can see in this particular scripture, the guards then went to get, to the, get the apostles for the trial, but they were not actually in the jail. 
And so this looked really bad because sometimes, um, because also when guards had failed at their job, they often also were, punishment, were punished. So it did look bad. And because a few weeks earlier, basically the Pharisees had had to deal with an empty tomb. Now they were dealing with an empty jail. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. And this is verse 23 to 24. At that, the captain went into his offices and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Now, this is actually where it gets a little crazy. Here's these Jesus followers having somehow broken out of jail and warned before that they were not to speak in the name of Jesus, and now they're doing it again. There were so many people there. They were starting to lean in because remember that the, the apostles had become famous by then. They were leaning in, they were listening, they were agreeing. And the guards had to be really careful here as the crowd would have turned on them. You know, I asked myself the question, uh, it's the detail thing again, sorry, but why did the guys go willingly? There was no force, I mean, I mean, why would you? They had hundreds of people listening to them and maybe they would have known that people would have started a riot for them. So why did they go? I recognise that they trusted that Jesus had their backs. He'd proven it before, so why wouldn't he now? They were willing participants in whatever the Holy Spirit had for them next. And again, I had to ask myself the question, would I? Would you? Knowing that you could be stepping into your death? As we go on further into the next passages, Peter and the other apostles stated that they must obey God rather than men reminding the Jews of the empty tomb after they had killed him and then uh, killed Jesus and then speaking of repentance and forgiveness of sins so that we might have eternal life with him. Wow, those religious leaders, their reaction to, to this was that they wanted to kill them all. Problem solved. But then this prominent teacher of the law, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, stood up and ordered the apostles to leave the room. And he then spoke to the whole group. And he said this, Gamaliel, well, actually, he, oh, I won't read it. Gamaliel compared this uprising to other uprisings in the past and how they had actually disintegrated on their own. And it's what we'd call a fad or something that's trending and we see it all, all the time on social media now. You know, we've got um, different trends with fashion, hair, shoes, houses, you name it. Well, this morning I'm going to be a little brave and I'm going to let you see one of my fad hair journeys. <laughs> the perm. <laughs> Anybody remember that? <laughs> then, the Princess Diana look. <laughs> yeah, who did that? <sighs> then... The Farah Fawcett look with the big hair. <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid I'm actually not game, game enough to show you my red hair days. Or the fact that I then went really, really dark. I had to change from being really dark, though, because Craig would wake up in the morning and go, oh, I've been blonde all my life. He couldn't cope. So anyway, trends. 
they actually eventually disappear. Well, you can tell that Gamaliel in his speech was hedging his bets because he says this. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. In other words, he realized that something different was going down. And he too probably had a little bit of uncertainty and didn't, didn't want to upset God. I mean, you can't blame him. He'd probably heard about Ananias and Sapphira and their death. He had heard about all the miracles. So maybe it was God blessing this movement. So he brings caution and restraint, and I consider him quite a wise man for doing that. But it actually doesn't prevent persecution. In verse 40, it goes on to say this. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Wow. Just a really small line of scripture. They called the apostles in, and they had them flogged. Cat nine tails. Years ago, we made this, um, a man made this as a, as a total replica of um, one of the cat nine tails that would have been used to flog people. And often these cat and nine tails, they had hooks or huge hunks of metal at the end of them. And these hooks or metal would catch on the skin and tear it. These leather pieces were wound so tight that they'd embed themselves in the skin and tear again. And, um, you know, the tails, it was one of the most horrific beatings anybody could ever have. They were often bound to a tree with, with, or, or a post with heavy shackles. And they couldn't get away. They went through exactly what Jesus went through with his flogging. And I want you to imagine this. Being in that group, waiting your turn to be beaten, hearing the others being beaten before you, hearing the cries, having the mixing of your blood with your brother's blood that had gone before you. And I can tell you this, they were not hygienic in those days and they didn't have a new whip for each whipping. The scars that they would carry would be seen every time they took off their shirts. Many of us actually can't imagine it. The closest I've seen to um, what it could have been like was in the movie The Passion. And that moment in the movie where Jesus was whipped helped me understand what he went through and it, I bawled my eyes out, it made me cry. Yet it says in the final verses of this chapter, verses 41 to 42, and it says this, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped preaching, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. So regardless of what they went through, they did not give up. In fact, they rejoiced. 
with their backs torn and scarred, they could have only done that through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, don't you reckon? And what I want to say to you today is that persecution is alive today. It's been around in other countries for years, like China, Russia, North Korea. Remember the Jewish Holocaust and the current persecution of, um, in Africa by the extremist Boko Haram. Horrific. Christians are being aggressively persecuted for their faith today. They're facing kidnappings, they're facing rape, torture, and even death. I, um, I read a book years ago. In fact, I was so absorbed by this book, I actually read it in one day. Um, and it was this book. Some of you may remember it, The Heavenly Man. And it's about a Chinese man known as Brother Un, who gave his life to Christ at the age of 16. And he felt called to share the gospel with others. And so he traveled all of China to do so. He was imprisoned four times. He was beaten, tortured, often with electric batons, had needles jammed under his fingernails, and he was paraded down a street, making, and they made him carry a cross for a whole day, and had both of his legs broken. In prison, Brother Un experienced miracle after miracle. I remember one story um, where he wasn't being fed as part of his torture and a rat came through the drain and brought one grain of rice at a time until there was a pile of rice for Brother Un to eat. God can use anything, Ooh, even something like a rat. But during these times of torture, he experienced the spiritual realm like many of us can only dream of. And he still sings with joy today. In Acts 5, I believe that God is challenging us today. Jesus said that these three things would happen. There would be spirit-inspired witness, persecution, and joy in suffering. It's tough to hear, eh? But it's actually what Acts 5 is all about. Persecution. All it does is expand the gospel. Suffering and even death doesn't lead to the squelching of the Jesus movement. It leads to success and the spreading of the gospel. Because guys, the gospel is moving. And we win by losing. Jesus won by hanging on that cross and he died. But Satan thought he'd won. But Jesus rose again so that we may have eternal life. He won for us by losing his life. And in Acts 5, the authorities imprisoned and punished. But all it did was spread the gospel because the apostles transformed the result. You know, sometimes we um, view persecution and trials a little differently. Um, here in New Zealand, we don't necessarily have that physical persecution the way it's happening around the world, but we may feel that we're being spiritually attacked. We blame God or we blame Satan <laughs> because sometimes life can be like a really big four-letter word, right? 
We struggle and we wrestle with sickness, difficult circumstances, which can often lead to anxiety and depression. I know what that's like. The last five years for our family has been quite tough. Craig lost one of his good mates to DVT. We lost our beautiful son-in-law to leukemia, my sister to nodular melanoma, and a family, has suffered severe, a family member has suffered severe PTSD. I've borne the brunt of fierce criticism and gossip, and often from those within the church. Craig has had his health issues, but that's his story to tell. And this year, as I took time out from the beginning of the year, I ended up with glandular fever, a torn meniscus, <laughs> torn ligaments in my ankle. I needed an operation with two surgeons that took eight weeks to recover from. And then on top of that, I had Bell's palsy of all things. Check this out. That's all you're getting. <laughs> that was embarrassing enough. <laughs> but let me tell you this. This last year, I have found the most incredible joy in Jesus. And I can rejoice at the God who is in my life because regardless of the circumstances, he's there. I am more calm, settled, and at peace than I have ever been. And you know why? Because I spent time in the presence of Jesus. Through this journey of suffering, I found Jesus in a completely different way. I hear his voice like I have never heard it before. I've learned to trust him, to wait on him, because he has taught me that he's got this. I had to change my outlook and stop feeling sorry for myself. He's got mine and my family's life in his hands. And it took all of that for me to come to a place of finding him and again, him again in a much deeper and a more beautiful way. I know him. I know his presence and his voice. I've developed a boldness that I never thought I had because it's not about me. It's about Jesus. And I'm standing now before you this morning because of that. I also found out that I'm stronger than I thought I was and I will and do share it with anyone I can or who will listen. I'm gonna tell you a story. There was a little boy that was watching a butterfly. Some of you may have heard it already, um, but it, it was breaking out of its chrysalis. And he noticed that the bus butterfly seemed stuck. So he ran and he got some scissors and he carefully snipped the cocoon to make the hole bigger and the butterfly emerged. As the butterfly came out though, he noticed that it had a swollen body and small shriveled wings. He continued to watch the butterfly, expecting that in time, the body would shrink and the butterfly's wings would expand. But neither happened, and it was never, ever able to fly. The boy's mother um, took him to see a scientist at the local school, and he later learned that um, the butterfly was supposed to struggle. 
In fact, the butterfly's struggle to push through push its way through the tiny opening of the cocoon, pushes the fluid out of its body and into its wings, and without that struggle, the butterfly can never, ever fly. You know, life sometimes goes great and sometimes it goes bad. Often through our own bad choices, like my knee and my ankle, I made bad choices. You know, it's tough. Jesus never, ever said it would be easy. But if we know our identity in Jesus, his absolute adoring love of us, his grace, his forgiveness, his mercy, then in the struggles we can grow and we can learn to fly and we can handle anything. Persecution and trials are normal. And church, don't wait. Don't sit on the fence with your faith. Don't compromise or become lethargic in your walk, like, I'll only come to church when it rains. Or I might come once every three weeks. It's okay. Don't wait for persecution or trials till you see him and hear his voice. Seek him, sit in his presence, witness your story and the story of Jesus because it's powerful, especially when the Holy Spirit empowers you. Your life will change. Maybe not in the circumstances, but in the way you see your circumstances. And you will see his miracles, however big or small, and get to know that beautiful joy in your life. And if you don't, if you go through life wishing for joy that belongs to others, and if you live a life of comparison or competition or envy and lies and deceit and compromise, you will end up with no joy at all. And so as the band comes out, um, we're going to start serving communion. Joy is found in his presence. And you know what? If we can do this all together as one body, then we can all as a church partner with the Holy Spirit to move the gospel forward because God is going to triumph regardless. We know the end of this book. We know the end of this story. God triumphs. And he will do it with or without us. And I know where I want to be. And I know what I want to do. Do you? I'm going to finish with um, a scripture. 1 Peter 1, 12 to 19. And it reads like this. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name, 
for it is time for judgment to begin within God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful Creator and continue to do good. Amen.